Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore, where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Andrew here, and with me as always is our fearless leader, Dr. Tim Elmore. How are you today, Tim? I'm doing well. So, Tim, it's the start of a new semester. Yeah. We're kind of getting into the swing of things. First classes have been taught. Things are moving along. And I think uh, probably a lot of teachers are thinking about things that we often think about at Growing yeah. Leaders. We're looking for new ways, fresh insights, things that we can engage with, uh, especially when you're leading a group of very distracted teams yeah. with a lot going on and all that kind of stuff. Short attention spans. Yeah, short yeah. attention spans. Uh, our attention is going every which way. And so for a, an educator and a leader, you and I are up in front of uh, teens all the time trying to communicate to them. And it can be a challenge. Yeah. Really, really hard. Um, but you were telling me, just to kind of kick us off here, you were telling me a story about a leader you had many years ago who practiced some of the freshest um, practices in order to keep your classroom engaged that I think we might even still be able to learn from today. Yeah. Well, over the years, I um, have been just like what you described. I was in a classroom with students in front of me, new batch of students every year, and I was thinking to myself, how do I win them over at the heart level? You know, how this is a new batch. They got us clean slate. Unless yeah. they've heard something good or bad about me, <laughs> I get to start fresh now. Yeah. Just like every fall and every January, we're starting fresh with some you know, new classes. So um, as I have reflected over the years, I thought of this man, Dennis Cook. Mm. I had him in high school, specifically for the first time, my junior year of high school. And Dennis really had a... First of all, he had kind of a cool vibe. He was very, very hip with the times. You could tell he's keeping up with whatever was up that at that time. Okay. But um, Dennis Cook was one of my teachers who was a very effective educator mm. because he was a very effective engager. Yeah. He engaged us first whether it had anything to do with social studies or not. Yeah. He was going to win was us. That's probably over. the reason you remember him to this day. I think it is. Yeah, it wasn't in fact I don't remember what he taught me. You yeah. know, but I do remember he gave <laughs> yeah. and I did learn at the time. Yeah. So upon reflection, I can see now that Mr. Cook focused on connections in his classroom as much as the coursework in his classroom. He knew the coursework would follow if he made the connections. Now, if you're an educator listening or a whatever, you're a pastor or whatever, you're going to be in front of students. And I'm just telling you, if you build the bridge first and concentrate on connections, it accelerates whatever coursework yeah. you want them to get done. It's a time old, time old principle. Yeah. yeah, it really is. So um, he accelerated the learning by taking the time to do this first. It's almost like you got to go slow to go fast. Yeah. We've been saying that for years. So he did practice some tenets of social psychology. Okay. So I hate to just put this in purely behavioral science terms, but when I look back at what he did with us relationally and won us over as 16 and 17-year-old kids, yeah. he, did, he did several things, but I want to talk about three of them right now that I think are doable for anybody that cares about the subject and is in front of students. One of the terms we often talk about here is pracademic, right? And it's where the academic and the practical begin yep, to come together. Right. And it sounds like that's almost what you were saying is like, I'm reading this academic principle where the research says, yeah. this is an effective method. I'm going, wait a second, that was happening in my classroom mm -hmm. 40 years ago or That's however exactly long ago. exactly right. And if you think about it, Andrew, these things we're about to talk about really become life hacks yeah. for teachers in the classroom. Yeah. You know how it, ooh, that just, that just really helped me there. I need to do that again. So three life hacks is what we're going to talk about. Let's do it. Okay. The first one would be what 
is commonly called by social researchers the principle of similarity. And, and in short, it basically reminds us that we like those who are like us. We like those who are like us. You can okay. even think right now. Yeah. My best friend, I, I liked them because they were like me. Yeah. They liked the same stuff, yep. blah, blah, blah. Similarities, a different, similar interests, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. So for decades now, psychologists have reminded us that we tend to like those who are like us. A growing body of research reveals that similarity plays the largest role in youth mentoring program success. When a student and a mentor share similar interests or features, the results skyrocket. It's almost uncanny. It's almost mm. like, why don't we figure this out on week one and do it? Yeah. You know, what do we have in common? Yeah. Okay. So um, further, let me just add some more. When ninth grade teachers and students received information about the similarities between them, okay, the educator and the kid, uh, the students' grazed grades improved significantly. Fascinating. And in a massive study of 421 million potential romantic matches online, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, the factor that best predicted favorability toward a partner was similarity. Interesting. Now you go, duh, but think about it. Yeah. If you can find similarities and it accelerates your engagement and connection and learning... Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Find out what it is. So the researchers concluded, and I want to I want to read this verbatim. The more similar the individuals were, the higher the likelihood was of them finding each other desirable. Yeah. And I say romantic partners, teachers and students, <laughs> you name it. Yeah. 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 So here's what makes this difficult for for teachers and students. Humans tend to focus on differences rather than similarities. Isn't yeah. that true? You notice what's different. Oh, he's got he's got the or he he likes Ohio State. I like Alabama. <laughs> I know you've never said that before, but uh, all I have to say is roll tide to that. That's right, exactly. That's right. So our brains tend to find the differences, and the differences tend to divide us. Yeah. Right. I suggest you listen first to hear what your students are interested in then find natural ways to share your similar interests. Yeah. Now, some, some of you listening go, I do that every year. Wonderful. That's great. Keep yeah, doing keep it. Keep doing it. Because you probably did it out of intuition rather than research. But I'm telling you, this is research-based. Um, identify where you both enjoy comparable hobbies, people, artists, sports, you name it. And then find natural ways to share what and who you enjoy and watch the students' responses. I tell you what Mr. Cook did. He did this all the time. He communicated he genuinely knew me and what I liked, and I liked him right back. Yeah. He would even pull me aside just for me, you know, you like, you like the Cincinnati Reds? You know, oh, man, I followed them during the big red machine days or whatever, you yeah, know, something yeah. like that. Oh, my gosh. You know, you do too? Yeah. And suddenly we had this affinity yeah. that I felt like I had in secret. Yeah. You know, I had this secret. We probably had a secret bond with every student. It was yeah. totally appropriate, but each one of us had this similarity thing. And he probably liked everything from aardvark to zebras, you know, yeah. but, but he found a way yeah. into us. So that was number one. This is one of the things I love about great educators who really care about kids. Another thing they often do is they try and, you can never keep up with everything going on with kids, but just being aware of yeah. what are some of the popular television shows, yeah. knowing a lot of them probably went and saw Taylor Swift this yeah, year, right. you know, yeah. like just some of those things to be able to try and create that connection, yeah. even at a surface level to show you, I'm a human being, you're a human being, we have some common things uh, yeah. going on. And often it gets talked about the, the idea of belonging, right? Yeah. And I think this is one of the things that cues belonging is we share similar interests. You belong yeah. here. I belong with you. You belong with me, that kind yeah. of thing. So. so what I have often told myself in regard to this particular principle is, 
you know, students often erect boundaries between teacher and student. I've got these walls. You're not going to reach me. Yeah. Uh, When bonding goes up, boundaries go down. Mm. So I need to make sure I find some time and emotional energy to bond a bit to make sure that then this math class or this whatever, philosophy class or whatever, gets taught. That's good. All right. So that's number one. Yeah. The second one is simply what's commonly called the principle of reciprocation. The principle of reciprocation. This one, in short, basically goes, we like those who like us, okay? okay. So Mr. Mr. Cook modeled, we like those who like the same things we do, yeah. but we like those who like us. So here's what I would... You've heard me say this a million times. I bet you've said it too, Andrew. Teachers and students bond, and students tend to like those who think the teacher likes them. Yeah. So I know for some of you, you might be weirded out right now. How I, I don't want to I like them. I don't know. What are they? But I'm telling you, when I knew that Mrs. Mayo or Mr. Cook or Mr. Mosher kind of liked me yeah. as a human being. Yeah. They thought you were I, cool. You were I, like, I, what a cool yeah, kid, yeah. you know? I performed better. I yeah. wanted to give them my best. Yeah. I wanted to pay attention. Yeah. So it's 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 not manipulation. It's just share that you by the way, if you're a teacher listening. I, th- I think what never goes out of a style is for a teacher to say, to find a way to say, I love all of my students. Yeah. And each one, it's not weird, each one knows I love them in yeah. a special way. Yeah. So in a brain imaging study, researchers found that when teenagers' social media photos received lots of likes, have we not talked about this before? Yeah. The reward centers of the brains lit up like Christmas trees. In fact, they were the same reward sectors normally activated by desirable incidents like eating chocolate or winning <laughs> winning money. Wow. So it's like winning money when yeah. when you like me. Yeah. Isn't that you interesting? Approve. Yeah, exactly. So knowing someone fancies us can be I love I love this adjective. Pardon me, I never use it, but it can be bewitchingly effective. Yeah. Uh, means of cultivating reciprocal behavior. So you like me, I like you. You know that sort of thing. People tend to those to like those who like them. Candidate, listen to this. Candidates in employment interviews received more favorable hiring recommendations and eventual job offers from interviewers when, during the interaction, they complimented the interviewer. Mm. So I'm being interviewed for the job. Ooh, Andrew, I like that tie. Where'd you get that? Macy's. Oh, I got to get that. Now, it may feel like, oh, that was perfunctory. Yeah. Ooh, he likes my tie. Yeah. I like this guy, you know? We all so, make fun of that and go, what a salesman. It's but there's true. a reason. Salesmen are effective. It's so true. Yeah. We say, get out of here, and then we say, come in here. You yes. Know? So anyway, it's going on. Yeah. All right. So teachers, listeners, what if you found natural ways to communicate specific qualities you like in each student and then watch their response? To make this most effective, you got to be sincere. You yeah. can't make it up. Yeah. Okay. They they spot a fake a mile away. Um, also, it's also best to identify and complement qualities you want them to be living up to. So you see a little bit of it. But I remember Mrs. Mayo. I'm telling you, she did this for me and created a reputation I held for myself at 12 years old. She said, "Oh, I like it when you do this." Well, I probably only done that one time. Yeah. But suddenly that was my reputation. Now I want to do it more. That's right. I, yeah. My reputation with this woman is, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I have so, a standard to uphold now. <laughs> exactly. She yeah. likes me. I, I got to make this right here. Yeah. So I know this sounds probably really goofy, but this is so powerful and so real. Uh, this notion is kind of related to a tactic called um, altar casting, in which a person is assigned a particular social role in hopes that the person will then act in accordance with that role, okay? And that's what I heard Mrs. Mayo, when she gave such a high opinion of me over and over and over again, 
she knew what gets reported, repeated gets rewarded, yeah. you know, that sort of, and vice versa. Yeah. So um, I believe she liked me so much, I just would have done anything for her. Yeah. Yeah. And there I was 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. So it can't, it, it, this is the kind of thing that could feel weird, quote unquote, yeah. right? Yeah, but can. I love what you said about being natural because I think you're exactly right. When we lean in and we, we um, verbalize, the natural thing that we like in what we see in that student, yeah. we give them an opportunity to it's respond so true. back to That's us. That's right, and and this the law of it's just behavioral science. Yeah. So a psychologist Robert Ciondini says this, and I quote: "Children who are praised for their conscientiousness on a task performed more conscientiously on a related task days afterwards." Similarly, adults complimented on their helpful tendencies became more helpful in a separated setting much, much later. Yeah. It's just, it's human beings. I love it. I All love right, it. the third principle I want to share is what's commonly called by social researchers the principle of social proof. The principle of social proof. So the power of this principle is our model and our life more than our words. Mm. We talk about being an example yep. all the time. Yep. Ad nauseum, please forgive us, audience. But I'm telling you, nothing takes the place of the model you set, yeah. even more than the words you teach. Yeah. We will inspire more students to do well, achieve more, and live rightly with our lifestyle more than any motivational or persuasive talk we'll ever give. So I love this. Eric Hoffer summarized it best when he said this. I love this statement. When people are free to do as they please, they usually imitate one another. <laughs> it's so true. You can do whatever you want in the whole well, world, but you're probably going to do what your neighbor right. did. Well, and here's my, here's my theory on this. Because we're all inundated with so much information, I look to influencers. Tell me what to buy. Tell me who to vote for. Yep. I trust you. Tell me what to do. Because yep. I can't think all this up by myself. Yep. So teachers, be that person. Yeah. Be the wise one in the room that they go, I like how you live. I yep. like how happy you are and yep. well-adjusted. Yep. I'm going to do that too. Yep. So don't, don't, don't underestimate the power of the model you give. Yeah. Uh, good or bad examples are powerful. So research has much to teach us about this principle of social proof. A chain of restaurants, this is very interesting, partner with researchers to increase the purchases of certain menu items. Okay, so they got this menu, 50 items. They, wanna, they, they want these things to be purchased right, as opposed to these four to or five those. things, yeah. okay? Uh, they wanted to see if it was possible to do this without huge marketing costs. That makes sense, okay? Yeah. So what they found was very intriguing. The solution wasn't what they assumed it would be, such as printing suggestions on the menu or placing the words, house specialty, buy this, or chef's, re uh, chef's recommendation. Yeah. Instead, it was the simple word, most popular. Interesting. Other customers like this. Yep. You might like it too. Yep. Okay. So when customers saw that, the most, uh, that most of the other customers preferred this dish, they followed suit. Sales of each dis dish increased on average 20%. By the way, when McDonald's wanted to increase the sales of their McFlurry, they had clerks say to customers, how about a dessert? The McFlurry is our visitor's favorite. Mm. Look at this. McFlurry sales jumped 55%. Wild. And when clerks said, you know, the X flavor is our visitor's favorite McFlurry topping, customers increased their purchasing of that topping by additional 48%. Wow. So you just say, Andrew, a whole bunch of other people like this. I know you don't have time to research this. Why don't you just follow their their path, you know? And okay. about half people go, yeah, all that's right, right, why not? Exactly, that's right. So the principle of social proof states that we determine what is correct by finding out what other people think is correct, Yeah. okay? 
So um, those are the those are the three. Uh, one last quick illustration before we maybe go to some other ideas. Um, psychologist Albert Bandura tells us it works as early as preschool age kids. Yeah. yeah. Wow. In an initial study, preschool students were chosen to participate in an experiment to help them in their fear of dogs. So they found children that were like four years old that they were just really afraid of dogs. Maybe they had a bad experience with a dog or a cat or something, but they found those kids, uh, and they, they chose the kids that were most terrified of canines, okay, either due to their temperament or a bad, scary experience. They watched from a distance a boy that was their age play with the dog for about 20 minutes a day. They're just watching, but he's having fun. The dog's having fun. Okay. Watch him for 20 minutes at a distance so it's not too scary. This produced marked changes in the kids. In just four days, 67% of them, that's two out of three, were willing to climb into a playpen with a dog and remain confined, petting and scratching the dog while everybody else left the room. Wow. So they needed to see a model. Yeah. And I'm telling you, teachers, sure, instruct well. But never underestimate, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Wow. So I want to go back over these three, because the, there is something that sticks out. It's in the title of our podcast today, but I think it is really, really important that we get this. So number one was the principle of similarity. We like those who are like us. Number two is the principle of reciprocation. We like those who like us. Yeah. And then uh, number three, of course, was the principle of social proof. And one of the things that you said was... Um, that this each of these three were really organic. Yeah. And that's exactly right. It's true. Each of these three strategies, there's nothing like all you gotta do is follow these twelve steps and you'll be able to do it. No, each of these just happens. Yeah. The the, the question here is whether or not we're going to be intentional. Yeah. Right. It's true. Uh, both of us grew up having teachers mm-hmm. who who were all about their lesson plan. Yeah. And the worst thing you can do is screw up the plan, you know? <laughs> and then we had teachers many of whom for you, you've yeah. named, and yeah. I can name them right now for yeah. me, who said, no, n- the number one goal is that I connect with the student, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And each of these things, that's exactly what these are. Yeah. How are we communicating that yeah. I share similarities with you? I like you, and yeah. I want to model the way yeah. for you. And when we do that organically, that's where the power really is. So you've got a couple of, just as always, a couple of very practical ideas for our listeners, teachers, parents, and leaders. And um, so I want to get into those. But before we do, let's take a really quick break. When we come back, we'll have some practical ideas. Hey guys, Andrew here. I'd like to talk to you about our curriculum, Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Growing up in a post-pandemic world means that many students today are facing new challenges and often don't have the social and emotional skills to handle it all. When students possess skills like self-awareness, impulse control, empathy, teamwork, and responsible decision-making, they're prepared to not only survive, but succeed inside and outside of the classroom. Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning comes in both middle school and high school versions and presents a fun, image-based pedagogy designed to delight and challenge your students. Find out more about how you can get Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning to your school by going to growingleaders.com slash SEL. All right, Tim, we're back. You've given us three psychological principles that we can organically practice, but I want you to make it even more practical for us. So you've got a couple of ideas for how teachers and parents can practice this with their students. Walk us through those. Well, just three quick ideas. Um, I think they're all doable. So the first one would be um, 
Reveal to your students when an idea or an action you want to encourage is being done by a growing number of kids their age. Mm. So remember the principle of social proof. So be sure to be honest, so be real, uh, but capitalize on it if the behavior is performed by a growing number or a majority. By the way, the many is even more powerful than the one. Mm. Okay, if they know, oh, really, a bunch of students are going to the football game on Friday night? Or, you, you know, we all know I this. I better go. FOMO right. cues exactly. in and we yeah. go. Yeah. So here's a really good example of this particular principle. Um, our car dealership wanted to recruit more salespeople for their employees. So they advertised they needed more employees due to the high demand on their vehicles. Well, what happened? Well, they did get more people to apply for the job, but they were surprised by a 41.7 jump in sales of the vehicle. Why? Because <laughs> they said, everybody's buying this vehicle. Isn't that interesting? It is so funny. So that's idea number one. I love okay? it. The second idea is just as simple, but um, add a differentiator to a project or an event or a practice you want kids to become involved in. This means that the original practice may be viewed as status quo, but when something is added that's maybe a little quirky or different, it becomes attractive. Yeah. Uh, the one I'm thinking about is, um, what if you were in charge of a private school that had uniforms? Okay. I know a number of kids. Yeah, many of our listeners are at that that's, school. That's right. Yeah. In fact, Melissa, both of her kids, you know, they grew up in a private school and they had uniforms, and Juliet did not like that uniform very well. Okay? <laughs> Most kids don't. That's true. That's true. She was normal in that sense. So um, what if you required uniforms uh, and you're noticing the kids were sloppy with them? In fact, the whole point of, was taken away because the shirts were untucked and yeah. wrinkled and the dress weren't right, you know, wasn't right. So let me tell you what administrators did in this one particular school. They said uh, they wanted the kids to wear their forms at, uniforms absolutely perfectly, but could wear whatever zany shoes or colors on those shoes they wanted. Oh. So the uniform had to be right, and that's really what they were after. Yeah. But the kids went crazy with, ooh, Nikes with sprinkles or whatever, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Yep. So it was a, it was a competition. And this took place over several weeks until the uniforms were worn perfectly and rewards were given yeah, out. They built a habit, really. Yes. But the point was, kids love out of the box. Let's face it. When you're yeah. a teenager, you want to be different. Okay, we're going to give you a way to be a uniform, to yep. wear a uniform, and still be different. Yeah. Okay, one last idea. These are simple, but maybe they spark even better thoughts, listeners, in your brains. Um, what if you chose the most influential or popular students to jump on board with an idea early on? Okay, so you select the influencers, the ones, can I say it this way, that are more thermostats than thermometers yep. in the classroom. Yep. They kind of set the temperature. Um, and what if you launched a new tradition or project, but before it was done, you asked these influential kids uh, to weigh in and own it. Then those few were the ones who pioneered the idea. It wasn't the teacher's yeah. idea at 48 years old. You're an old fogey, you know? It was the students. Watch what happens. We've all seen this work. Yes. Sometimes accidentally. So you know what comes to my mind? Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. It's a great he book, He told yeah. a great story in that book about the resurgence in purchases of hush puppy shoes way back in the 1990s. So I remember when hush puppies were kind of big in the 60s. Yep. That's how far back. And I'm talking about the 1860s. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You remember those vividly, huh? Right. Uh, Abraham Lincoln once said, and he said it to me. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. But 1960s, I was just a little boy. Hush puppies were big. Well, then they, they totally went out. It was like, yeah. ugh, those are... Only ugh, old ugh, people yeah. wear those, yeah. But, but here's what happened. There were a few very well-known, 
trendy, fashionable people in New York that started wearing them again. Mm. It was because it was different. Yeah. Well, suddenly they couldn't keep them in stock. The Hush Puppy Company, we got hard new staff, yeah. new, you know, new tailor cobblers. And they just, they, they sold so well, they had a difficult time even yeah. keeping inventory. And the point was, there were just a few that set the trend for the many. Yeah. So I'm reminding you of the power of, of loving and affirming and modeling the way, pushing the right behavior along the way mm. to get your students to connect back right with you. So our teachers and those listening have started a new semester. They're thinking about how to engage their kids. You've given them such practical advice, but uh, you've got a closing thought. Uh, it's a quote you shared with me. And I absolutely love. I want you to end our conversation today with this. Well, I'm like you, Andrew. I love the words of Dr. Kevin Maxwell, and here's what he said. Quote, our job is to teach the students we have, not the ones we would like to have, not the ones we used to have, those we have right now and all of them. Mm. So listeners, you might be the only reason a student comes to school every day. Yeah. Lead them organically and well, right? Well, thank you so much, Tim, for your insight and inspiration. You guys have already heard about this, but if you're looking for a tool to further engage your kids, maybe to have kind of a practical conversation starter, I want to commend you look at our tool, Habitudes. If you want to find out more about our Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning program for middle school or high school, head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, we would greatly appreciate that. If you were inspired by this and you thought maybe of another teacher or parent or leader who you think might find this conversation helpful, we invite you to pass that over to them. We would appreciate that as well. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, conversations you think we should have, folks you think we should interview, shoot us an email. Our email is podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you once again for leading us today and inspiring us. Thank you all for leading the next generation so well. Keep at it, and we'll see you next time.